Told you I was going to tell you how to arm yourself tonight. Glock. At least nine mil. First Peter chapter four. <clears throat> this arming yourself is more important than a gun. <clears throat> In fact, you know why we're losing our gun rights? Because no Americans are no longer armed like this. And when they're not, they'll willingly give up their rights. Anyway. First Peter 4. <clears throat> I'm not going to get into that tonight. Verses 1 through 6. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For well, the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walk in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable, abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye, not, ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So, title this message, Arming Yourself for Battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. And we thank you that it gives us instruction in every every life that we might be perfectly truly furnished unto all good works. So, Father, I pray that as we look into the Word tonight and consider this passage, this subject, I pray that you'd challenge us and encourage us and help us to be faithful and to daily arm ourselves with the Word of God and the sword of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a war. It's a war for the enemy of souls. It's a war against the devil. And I think it's Henry Morris has a book called The Long War Against God. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Long War Against God. You know, evolution is it's a war against God. That's what this is all about. And, you know, and history is one long continuous story of this war. It's really what it is. It's a story of victories and defeats of progress and then setbacks. Um, <clears throat> and these, you know, the progress and the setbacks, the victories and defeats, are all affected by how well man armed himself for the battle. You know, we lost the Vietnam War. Not because we didn't have enough men. And not because they weren't skilled. It's because they were not allowed to do the job. Politics. That's why we lost the war. And, you know, we lose the war. We lose the battles. We're not going to lose the war. We know how this war is going to end. 
But we do lose battles at times because we are not prepared. So as we think about this tonight, arming yourself for the battle, I have three things. First of all, you need to prepare yourself for battle. You know, again, we are in a war, and we are to arm ourselves. And, and God, the Lord used even uh, physical armor, uh, <clears throat> referring to that, as an illustration, Luke 11, 21 and 22, he said this, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all of his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. So an armed man, strong armed man, keepeth his palace. So we need to be prepared. We, we need to prepare yourself. You need to prepare yourself for the battle. In verse 1 he says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. The same mind. The word arm here means to furnish, to equip with weapons. You know, just like you would equip a soldier with weapons, that's the idea here. Spiritually, we're to equip ourselves with the weapons that God has given us. And he says we're to arm the mind. We're not talking about arming our physical bodies. We're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about arming the mind. The word, you know, and that's really where the battle is. Won or lost. It's not lost on the battlefield. Even the wars that the world has seen are not lost on the battlefield. They're lost with ideas. Men's thinking. Satan worked, think about this, Satan worked on Eve's mind. And he got her to doubt God's word. He said, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree? No, God didn't say that. And he got her to doubt. So he worked on her mind. The word mind here means thoughtfulness or moral understanding, uh, intent. Or thinking. See, what you put in your mind determines your thought processes. Which governs then your actions. You know, <clears throat> yeah, this is true in every area of life. What you put in your car will determine its performance. I mean, if you put uh, gas in where the oil is supposed to go and oil in where the gas is supposed to go, I tried that in a chainsaw one day. Not on purpose, of course. I was having a senior, no, an intellectual overload. Um, but I couldn't get to, you know, the dumb thing wouldn't run fight. Didn't want to run. So I opened the gas compartment. I figured out, oh, the dumb thing is me. Um, you know. So, so what you put in your mind, again, is going to determine your thought processes. Proverbs 30, 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we need to fortify our minds with the word. You know, and again, with, we know all these verses. What did God tell Joshua in Joshua 1, 8? You know, Joshua is going, to, is going to face the conquering of the land and nations that are bigger, stronger, and mightier than he is. And so the Lord said to him, in preparation for this, 
This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So if you will think and meditate upon the promises of God, you will have good success. If you do not, what's that mean? It means you will not. And then he says this, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Where, where did Joshua get his courage? He got it from meditating on the promises of God. That's where he got it from. It was his thinking processes. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate, you know, thinking, meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, uh, planted by the rivers of water, who's, um, who bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Thank you. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. Why don't the ungodly prosper like that? Because they don't meditate day and night in the word of God. You know, uh, uh, Psalm, Psalm 19 we're, of course, going to be memorizing this. This, this is a, a, a powerful psalm. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. <clears throat> psalm 19, 7 through 9. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The idea of converting means, the idea is kind of to turn around, to change direction. And when a person gets converted, that's what they do. They really change their direction in life. Uh, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And if you drop down to verse 13, it says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. What's a presumptuous sin? It's a willful choice to do evil. What keeps, what keeps us from choosing to do evil? It's the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. Uh, let them not have dominion over me, and then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Uh, you know, and I can go on and on. You go to the New Testament. Ephesians 4.23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Philippians 4.8 gives us a list of things that we ought to think on. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.6 that he is to be nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine. In other words, he's to feed his mind of the words of faith. You know, when I, when I read through the Bible and I read about the exploits of Moses. I think, wow. And you read about Abraham arming his servants. With, he had 378, I think it was, and he defeated four or five kings. Armies. And David taking a sling and slaying a giant and cutting off his head with his own sword. You read things like that and you say, hey, God can do anything. 
through anybody. David was just a shepherd boy. I mean, as far as his brother was concerned, he was the younger brat. That's how they viewed him. But yet, God used him. See, see, nourished up in the words of faith. Um, look at 1 Timothy. I was looking at 1 Timothy here. 1 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> Writing into Timothy, he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Exhortation would be preaching. Doctrine is teaching. And then he says in verse 15, Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. In other words, you're to fill your mind, Timothy, with these things, that thy profiting may appear to all. So we have to furnish, we need to arm, prepare ourselves for the battle, and the preparation is to arm or equip our minds with the word of God. So he says arm... Likewise, arm yourself with the same mind. You know, of course, Jesus was the walking word. He was the word of God in flesh. So, to prepare yourself for battle, we have to arm ourselves. Secondly, we are to protect ourselves. Verses 1 and 2 again says, For as much as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Notice that, ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. So how do we protect ourselves the same way a soldier protects himself? With what he's armed himself. In other words, he uses the equipment which he has furnished himself with or prepared himself to protect himself. Himself. Guns, grenades, his knife, his helmet, a compass, you know, a map maybe of the surveillance of the enemy, where they are and where their, their strongholds are. You know, all these things are his equipment that he has furnished himself with, armed himself with to protect himself. Now, you know, a soldier could say, ah, I can handle this. I'm tough. I am one mean dude. Bring it on, man. And just say, I don't need all this stuff. What's going to happen to him? He's going to be one mean dead dude. He won't even be mean. He'd just be dead. You know, that's what Israel did try to AI. They said, you know, well, AI is just a little place. Just send up a few thousand. Of course, there was sin in the camp. And they got beat. No, a soldier protects himself by using the things that he has prepared himself with. And so we, are to use, we protect ourselves by using the things that we prepare ourselves with. Again, Arm our mind with the word. So when temptation, trials, troubles come our way, we can be victorious by applying the word of life so we cease or stop sinning. That's the idea here. 
There's an interesting account in 2 Samuel 5. Verse 22 says, And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Raphim. Now, this is during David's kingdom. David had just defeated him, a great defeat. But it says they came up again. Now, David's an experienced warrior. He could have said, I know what to do. Let's just go do it. We see, David understood something. David understood the battle is the Lord's. So instead of doing that, David inquired of the Lord. Verse 23 says, And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of the going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then the Lord, then shall the Lord go out before thee and smite the host of the Philistines. Now, what happened here? I'll tell you what happened. God got into the battle. God got into the fight. You see, David didn't just go at it because he's an experienced warrior. He had already beat the Philistines several times. But, and they're coming up yet again, and he didn't just go after them. He asked again, asked the Lord, what shall I do? And the Lord said, hey, you take this, go around behind them. Ambush type thing. And he said, and he said then, he said, the Lord shall go out before thee and smite the hosts of the Philistines. See, God got in the battle. You know, when we uh, put on the armor of God, we arm ourselves with the word of God. You know what we do? We're putting God into the battle. We're putting him into the battle. You know, he gives us a list of things here. You know, that if we will apply the word, we'll, he will protect us from. Uh, in verse 3, he says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought. You know, the, the word wrought has, this was, the, this was our works. We have worked the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness. That's unbridled lust or lack of restraint. You know, uh, it could be anywhere from spending to eating to gaming to any things the world's involved in. Unrestrained is the idea of just lawlessness. Of course, we see a lot of that in our country nowadays. Uh, he, he also talks about lust, uh, longing for that which is forbidden. Could be moral speaks of moral sins of the flesh, excessive wine, which is drunkenness, revelings, that's rioting or merrymaking or partying. You know, there's some people the world's constant party. That's what they live for. Banquetings, the idea of banquetings here is not what we think of a banquet. This banqueting here refers to a drinking binge or a drinking party. It's the idea. Abominable idolatry, idolatries. That's unlawful worship or worship contrary to the word of God. We have a lot of that in our, in our world. You know, contemporary, cowboy, home church, TV church. You know, if it's not a New Testament church, it's an abominable worship. It's abominable. It's unlawful. It's not right in the sight of God. You know, <clears throat> You know, sometimes I hear people say, oh, I wish I'd like to be a better Christian, to have victory and walk with the Lord. Well, that's what faith is. 
Faith is obeying God regardless of circumstances, consequences, and feelings. You know, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith is putting God in the battle with you. It's the outworking of the word. That's what it means in Philippians 2.12 when he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you. So when you arm yourself with the word of God, then God can work that out, just like a soldier would put on his armor, and when he goes into battle, he would use that armor to protect himself. What are you? Ephesians chapter 6 for a minute. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able. You know, again, the implication here is that we are not able to stand against the wiles of the devil without the armor of God. We can't. We are no match for him. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of the faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. <coughs> so we're to take, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's descriptive here of a Roman soldier and all the things that he would put on in preparation for battle to protect himself in the battle. You know, if we put on, if we are continually putting on the word of God, when friends tempt you, young people, you can go to Proverbs 1.10 and says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. You know, Joshua was tempted by Potiphar's wife. The Bible says he fled and got him out. Why did he flee and got him out? Because the Bible says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. You're tempted to lie. If you put the word of God in your heart, Ephesians 4.25 might come to your mind. Put away lying. Put away lying. Colossians 3.9, lie not one to another. Seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds. Of course, one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Speech. You have problems with speech. Yeah. I think it was Chuck Coffey who said when he got saved, he lost two-thirds of his vocabulary. Um. Let no, Ephesians 4.21, let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You have trouble with thoughts? Psalm 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Worry, you have problems with worry or fretting? Philippians 4, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made with thanksgiving. Uh, be careful with nothing, I'm sorry. 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, problem with uh, children and family problems? Well, Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Proverbs 4.1 Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to the law of thy mother. It's an interesting <clears throat> one of our hymns. Redeemed. The, word, the song Redeemed. 348. The last verse says this. And this is written by a blind lady, Fanny Crosby. And she says, I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose law I delight. What did Paul say about the law in Romans chapter 7? When he was talking about, he said, the things that I would not, that do I, and the things that I should do, that do I not. And then he said, oh, wretched man that I am. But he said, I delight in the law of God after the inner man. You see, his, his spirit delighted in the God's law. That's what kept him faithful. That's what gave him victory over the many trials and temptations that befell him by the way. So I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose law I delight. See, we need to delight in the word of God. Who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. So, you know, when you're putting the word of God in your heart, you're putting the Lord in the battle with you. Ephesians 6.17 says, again, taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Your sword is the Word. This is what will protect you in times of trials and tests. This is what will defeat the enemy. It is a, the sword of the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, 13. For the word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul, spirit, and joints, and the marrow, and is a cerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You see, the Word of God will enlighten our path. It will give us wisdom in our path. It will give us direction in our path. It will help us to make right choices in our path. But we've got to put it in. We've got to arm ourselves with it. So, we see the... Um, <clears throat> prepare yourself, protect yourself... I want you to notice the third thing here, the practice witnessed. In verses 5 and or 4 through 6, <clears throat> excuse me, the 4 through 6, he says this, Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead, 
For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the man in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. So there's, there's a practice that is witnessed here. Wherein, verse 4 says, wherein they, that is, those that are still living in the will of the Gentiles or lost, think it's strange. You know, they're going to think you're strange. The word strange means to be astonished or kind of shocked or amazed. Remember Luke chapter 5. Uh, you know, Jesus was preaching on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and there was there was a crowd there. So he 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 uh, got into one of the fishermen's. I think it was one of the either James and John or Peter and Andrew's boat, and preached from the boat. And then he told them to launch out in the deep for a trot. And you know, Peter said, well, "Lord, we fished all night, we got nothing, but nevertheless, thy word will will let down the net." And, of course, they caught a multitude of fish and so many that the net was breaking. And the Bible says there that they were astonished. I mean, they just couldn't believe it. That's the idea here. People will think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. Why are you so, why are you so strict? That's a word they like to use. You're so strict. I mean, why are you so square? Did you ever get called square? I got called square a couple of times when I was in school, went to public school. Um, <coughs> I wasn't really even living for the Lord then, but, but anyway, you know, they, they think it's strange that you do not, they are amazed that you do not do or enjoy the same things that they enjoy. I never did quite understand why they why people thought drinking was fun. Because the hangover comes after that. Um, never quite understood that. So so this is, again, this is what they're going to witness. Second thing they may do is they'll speak evil of you or revile you. Notice again in verse 4 it says, the end of the verse, speaking evil of you. That means to revile or to speak disrespectful or to disdain or consider you beneath them. That's the idea here. Oh, well, you just haven't experienced or you don't have knowledge of the real world. I mean, you've never had a buzz <laughs> or a drink or drunk, you know. Uh, you, you, just, you, you just never enjoy, you know, and, and, and they will criticize you and speak evil of you as if you're some alien from outer space or something. A fellow said to my brother one time, again in the public school, he said, uh, do you ever have any fun? And it was in the context of, so you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't chew. 
and you don't run around at night? He said, no. What do you do? Do you have any fun? Little did he know. There's always something fun at the Bylard household. Not always, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> you know, and they act like, and, and they will speak disrespectful of you, thinking, you know, they will say things like, well, maybe you think you're just better than us, or, um, you know, you're just, just narrow-minded and uh, not broad-minded and, you know, haven't experienced the real world and just don't understand. But I just want to notice a third thing here. <clears throat> this, this, this practice that is witnessed by the unsaved prepares them for judgment or to give an account. If you notice verses 5 and 6, and this is, these verses are a little tricky, I, I must admit. Who shall give account, speaking of them, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now, most commentators say this verse is talking about those, on, we talked about it in Noah's day, um, in chapter 3, where, where it says where Christ by the Spirit went and preached to those in prison, uh, um, those who were bound in the, in the days of Noah, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20. But, but I, I, I think differently. I don't always agree with commentators. Uh, he says here to preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. The word judged here means to justify, to write, or to vindicate. And to vindicate means to clear. If you're going to vindicate somebody, you're clearing them. Now, said that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So, this, this witness that is practiced, that is seen by the lost world, is like the preaching of Noah's day. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, it doesn't really say here that Noah preached, but he did. Now, I don't know if he used nails back then, but if he did, every time Noah, every time they heard that hammer driving a nail in that ark, it was a reminder to those people, judgment is on its way. You're going to have to stand before God. God's going to judge you. That you are condemned without faith in him. Every time. 
And it went on for 120 years, we're told. Well, the same is true in our lives. You know, this that they think is strange, that they speak evil of, is preparing them to give account. It's preparing them to give an account. You know, our lives, you think, think of it this way. Oh, go to Romans chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Romans 8, verses 8 and 9. Romans 8, verse 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your, what's that next word? Mortal. What's your mortal body? It's your flesh. So he's going to quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So your mortal body then is going to vindicate what you're saying, your actions. It's, you know, our lives that we live in this flesh, this body of flesh, should indicate that we are living in the Spirit for the Lord. Or living by the Spirit of the Lord, as he says there in Romans, directed and controlled by the Spirit of God. Uh, you know, he says, ye are not in the flesh, but yeah, I am in the flesh. Am I in the flesh? Yeah, I am. I'm, physically I am. Spiritually, no. hope not. Uh, but, but physically I am in the flesh. And so, our, our life, our life in the flesh should indicate that we are living according to the God in the Spirit. And this is our witness, our practice that is witnessed by the lost and dying world. You know, it isn't just the things we say. In fact, it's not the things that we say that have the greatest effect. It's the things that we do. It's the things that we do. So don't be discouraged if they say, you know, you're just strange. Because they have observed something. What they've observed is that your life vindicates the truth of the word of God. That the gospel gives us victory over the sins of the flesh. And that they too can have victory if they would repent and put their faith and trust in him so so don't be discouraged if they think you're if they say you're strange or they speak evil of you you know they may you know sometimes you know people respond to the gospel in, in different ways sometimes they'll lash out at you they'll criticize you other times they'll just kind of shake their head or think well you know they they're really good people and they may speak well of you, but other times they just, you know, they just nasty. 
Um, but it is a witness that is that is seen and and prepares them to face the judgment of God. So that they are, they will be without excuse. You know, our spiritual life should be evident by what we do in this body. In Roman or First uh, Corinthians six nineteen twenty says, "Would have glorified God in our body and our spirit, which are God's." So we need to arm ourselves. You know, how well are you armed? You know, it really is, a, it's arming the mind. There was a book written years ago, I think it was by a psychologist or something, and I think his name was Alan Bloom, and he called it, it was called The Battle of the Mind. And that's where the battle is. You know, our problems in America and in our churches all have to do with the mind. That's the root of the problem. Battles in the mind. You know, the devil wants to distract us from what is true and what is right. He wants us to occupy, be occupied with the cares and troubles of life and the things of this world so that we cannot have victory. I remember uh, Chuck Coffey, he was a major in Vietnam War, and he said one of the things that the Viet Cong were famous for were landmines. Not intended to kill you. That was not the intention. And rarely did it. It was only to maim you. Blow off a toe, part of your foot, something of that nature, and it would handicap you. And if it handicaps you, it handicaps your unit. And makes you a prey for the enemy. See, God wants us, or the devil wants us, to get sidetracked and bogged down with the things of this world and not focus our attention and our mind on the things of God and thereby render us ineffective. So might God help us to arm ourselves with the same mind that Christ had. Arm ourselves with the word of God that we may go forth being victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's pray.